this wilderness, you will find only Allah's terrible whimsy. Red, yeah, it means it's recording. But you would think green would mean recording. Right. But red always means recording. I don't know why. I'm a green-red colorblind anyway. So Are you? Well, there you go. But I, I can't tell the difference between that green and that red. Hmm. So what does that mean? <laughs> like it's it's a different shade of gray or something? Or Yes. Okay. It's not a different shade of gray. It's a different shade of a color. But it's not. I mean, that like that looks orange to me. I don't, I don't, okay. know, I don't know how to explain it. But like if... If you have green and red font, like on in a Word document, yeah, I could not tell the difference between okay. green and red there. You don't have problems driving. I do. In fact, I, yeah. I was one time. I remember helping you out. We were driving somewhere in Lawrence at night. Were you with me when we were pulled over by that cop at the blinking yellow light? No, but it was it was the same thing. It was like a road. We were coming into town, and it was like a blinking light. And it was like, is that yellow or red? Yep. And yeah, oh, the that? single light. Yeah. yeah. When yeah. we got back from the Garden of Eden. Right. From that trip. But you didn't get pulled. That was just, you were just, is that a yellow or red light? I remember. Well, I had you to spot it. Yeah. One time <laughs> I was driving with a friend, and we had had a, a few drinks, and there was a blinking light, and I didn't ask him what color it was, and the guy next to me stopped at it, and I stopped at it. Well, it was yellow. The guy next to me took off. I took off, pulled me over, hmm. and I said, he said, you stopped at that blinking yellow light, and I said, you'll notice I stopped after that guy stopped first. He said, yeah, I did notice that. I said, because I'm red, green, colorblind, and, I, and yellow throws me off, if, especially if I can't see the position of the color in the lights. Because I go by the position. And so he stopped, so I stopped. I just trusted that he knew what color it was. He said, I believe you, and I really wish I had caught that other guy. <laughs> I'm like, well, thank you, officer. And then my buddy leans over and goes, he's lying. <laughs> Don't listen to him. And I said, my friend's had a few too many drinks. I'm trying to get him home. <laughs> and then we proceeded to drive to a bar and have some more drinks. Wow. <laughs> Fortunately, we're doing this podcast anonymously, so I can't get arrested for that story. Well, you're, you've been listening to Lost and Found and Rewound, a podcast about esoteric films, films that you may not have heard about, most people haven't heard about. And colorblindness. And colorblindness, people who watch them that we think are special. I am Chris Lost. I am Found Jim. <laughs> I love I always forget about that. And I am Rick Rewound. <laughs> and that's that's basically it. There's just... <laughs> that's we, our that's our three minutes, right? We Got want three minutes <laughs> today. Yeah. Yeah, this week I guess I should enter the synopsis it's, of our film, Jim. I picked it. It was this week it was Mountains of the Moon from nineteen ninety by Bob Rafelson. It's a movie yeah, I first saw around that time, nineteen ninety or so, and just it was about this guy named Richard Francis Burton in the eighteen 18- I guess it takes place in the 1850s, and he's a uh, explorer and linguist. And before I'd seen this movie, I didn't know anything about him. I was surprised, and he's like a was a legend in his own time. And the movie is about him and John Speak going on this expedition to find the source of the Nile, and which was a big deal then. They had no idea what was going on in the center of 
Africa and it was also to, uh, well, for exploitation basically too. It was like the Royal Geographical Society and to map things and, you know, it was all colonial expansion and all that. So basically the first half of the movie, well, there's a couple expeditions. They go wandering around and all craziness happens. It's like a Bond movie. You have that first little introductory action sequence. Yeah. Which is that first expedition. Right out of the gate. And then they go back to London and talk to the bosses just like Bond does. And then they have the long adventure. Right. It's It's just a James Bond movie. (laughs) I've just boiled it down. Sorry. hundred hundred years before. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It, It seemed to me to be a film. It felt like we were watching a film from the 60s or, or mm-hmm. yeah from the 60s kind of felt that way but then i had to keep reminding myself that it was done in the 90s so mm-hmm. i had like an older film feel to it which i like or maybe yeah be, well maybe it's bob rafelson because yeah. that, are we gonna launch into that yeah the whole craziness <laughs> that it's that's what th- if people say about this movie is or when well i've seen a few references to people interviewing him and saying or like saying this when i saw the previews for this and it was directed by bob rafelson i couldn't believe it it's just doesn't seem like his his bag you know right it's like he he did what five easy pieces and head head right he created the monkeys right so basically co-creator yeah of the monkeys is he really yeah mm-hmm. yeah that's raybird <laughs> oh, productions that. yeah they they moved from basically they killed the monkeys with head and then went into film production the guys bob rafelson and bert schneider hmm. and so they created the monkeys made a bunch of money the first bob rafelson film was head and then i think yeah, so all those, and they produced, well, Bob Rafelson directed Five Easy Pieces, but then, did they produce Easy Rider? I think they yeah. produced, there's a box set of Raybert Productions, so their first, mm-hmm. like, five movies or whatever are, like, Bob Rafelson films, but also a couple other. Oh, is Tulane Blacktop? Maybe that's... What but, uh, What drew you to this film, Jim? I, can, I don't I think it was probably, you know, Siskel and Ebert or something. You know, I know, I remember them liking it. Two thumbs up. Yeah, both of them. And definitely it was something I think I saw on that show. And I was like, oh, that's interesting. And and I, well, I kind of knew who Bob Rafelson was, but just from, well, five easy pieces. And I don't know if I knew that, like, around that time that he was involved with the monkeys or head. I probably had seen head already. I think I I knew about all that. But uh, I don't know. Yeah, it it just, it definitely, I didn't see it in the theater. I rented it around probably a year after this came out and it just sounded really interesting and it sounds like it definitely didn't do well in the box office it was it was like a uh, i think a real labor of love for bob rafelson he was trying to get it made for years and he he was kind of obsessed i guess with richard burton at an early age he he knew about him and read some of his books and just kind of was really obsessed about him and definitely was working on this movie for a long time and finally got the money to get it made in later on. It is unusual for his, well, I don't know what, what a typical Bob Riffleson movie is, but, but it, it's very, it is very old fashioned in a way. It's like an epic. It's kind of like David Lean, like Lawrence of Arabia, but, but not really. It's like kind of, it starts out like that and there's a lot of action and big epic things happening, but then but it's really just about, it's like a buddy <laughs> picture or it's like a road picture almost. It is or a something. road picture. Except well, they're just walking across, but, it's just about these two guys, their friendship and how it falls apart or they become enemies because of the outside world, basically. It reminded me a little bit of, it actually had weird nods too. Like I was pointing out this, I thought that Spielberg had ripped things off of this film, but clearly these things had happened. The Spielberg references happened before, like the Jaws scar off 
Yeah. Where they're showing each other their scars. Mm-hmm. That was from Rick pointed out from Jaws. And then there's the natives running over the hill with the spears after him, like that right. like just right off of the beginning of Raiders. Right. So but it's the strong David Lean influence, right? I think it's just kind of like unavoidable if you're doing an epic like that, right? You're going to sure. reference but, Lawrence of Arabia, I guess. And the and Lean references were very brief. I don't know if you noticed yeah. that. Like, like Lean will sit there and let you take in the landscape a big wide shot for a long time whereas he'd do a big wide shot of them walking up a sand dune or something but then I mean, it was very brief he wasn't yeah. he was more a lot of this film was shot in mids and close-ups mm-hmm. more so than in these big wide sweeping shots yeah it's definitely about the people face to face talking and <laughs> there's a lot of talking and stuff but but there are those epic action sequences, but but it is more about just human relations, basically. And I was wrong about Raybird Productions was the production company that did the monkeys and everything like that. But then they evolved into BBS, which was Bert. See, now I just lost it. But it's the two guys, Bob Rafelson, the guy who co-produced the monkeys, and then another guy, and they a box set came out. This is what I remember from a box set came out with Head, Easy Rider, Five Easy Pieces, Drive, He Said, which is, I believe that's the, is that the movie that, uh, Drive, He Said is a movie that Jack Nicholson directed. It's Jack Nicholson's first movie. Hmm. And then, um, did I say Last Picture Show? No. no. Uh, and the King of Marvin Garden's Five Easy Pieces. Did I say that? Yeah. Hmm. So, yeah, they had this kind of run right at the beginning where they were involved in all that kind of new Hollywood stuff. Mm-hmm. And so Bob Ravelson was was part of that. Yeah. And then then it all fell apart. Oh, oh, also Hearts and Minds, actually, that famous documentary about Vietnam. Um, mm-hmm. I think that's the other guy, right, did that. Or no, oh no, he didn't do it, but he produced it. I think that was, Bert Schneider was into the Vietnam documentary thing instead of, and Bob Ravelson was into directing narrative films. So yeah, the 60s thing, right? Yeah, so it does seem like it's just kind of like a, a way of showing that all the stuff that was important in the 60s happened in the 1850s also, right? Right. Like, yeah, that's the whole, yeah, Richard Burton was, well, he was like a linguist and everything, and he uh, was kind of famous for, or notorious for introducing like Eastern like works of kind of erotic works that he, he translated, like it was like the Perfume Garden and I don't know if, yeah, the Kama Sutra, it was like stuff like that, but he, he was, yeah, it was kind of very risque risque and yeah. Yeah. Counterculture. Yeah. Yeah. And there's drug stuff in the movie. Right. He he was talking about cannabis, he's hallucinating and stuff. Yeah. People die. He stands (laughs) up for, for the Africans who people are saying are lazy. Indigenous people like, or yeah, whatever, yeah, you call it native, native peoples and saying that they're different but equal, right? Not right. not uh, subordinate. Yeah, so he there are was, a lot of themes that you would see in 60s films, but translated or, you know, filtered through the 1850s. Right, yeah. That's, yeah, and he's, I think Bob Rafelson said in an interview I read about it that, that he was a rock star, or like to, not just him, to Bob Rafelson as a kid, but other people. It was like he didn't discover him, but other people his age were like really into Richard Burton too, which I never knew, but he... I don't know, maybe, you know, that he was exactly that. He's kind of progressive and ahead he, of his time. He was really good looking. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> That's what I, t- I mean, is sure. it, like Rick had asked at one point in the film, who's the bad guy and who's the good guy? <laughs> and I think the good guy was Burton because he's better looking than the other guy. <laughs> <laughs> they were both very handsome. It, it, it's good. a very manly movie, but it's also, yeah, the same thing with Lawrence of Arabia where it's, oh yeah, they actually... Yeah. I guess the one guy kisses yeah. Richard Burton, but it's it's more like yeah, just it's like 
manly love, but not necessarily. It, it, it's definitely got the, the homoerotic thing of Lawrence Arabia, which mm-hmm. I don't know if I ever saw. I saw an edited version of Lawrence Arabia when I was a kid, or I just had no idea what was going on. But you watch Lawrence right. Arabia now, and it's just like, ooh, wow. <laughs> there's a lot going on here that I did not pick up on. Well, yeah. people didn't. People didn't get that he was raped in that yeah, either. Yeah, exactly. And, I, and I'm trying to remember if that part was just not in the movie, the version I saw. Like, I saw it. I just think it's so subtle that if you, yeah. if you didn't understand yeah. those type of things as a kid, you wouldn't quite yeah. go yeah. there. Yeah. You know, one funny thing about this film as we talk about it, the risque stuff, is when I was looking through IMDb on it, the plot keywords were, in this order, female rear nudity... <laughs> <laughs> gay <laughs> female frontal nudity <laughs> kissing while having sex premarital sex Nile River Africa wow <laughs> yeah it took a while to get to Nile River in yeah Africa. it's got everything which be. I would think would be the first two but I mean I guess if you're trying to get people to read your article right you gotta go for the <laughs> female nudity the <laughs> kissing while having sex <laughs> That's the thing I like about it is it's got that element of the classic kind of 50s, 60s, Africa, you know, European or English colonial movie, but at least it's a little more farther along in terms of uh, Mm -hmm. social advancement, right? Where like the people of color in the film, there are at least a couple that are sympathetic and have kind of pass whatever the equivalent of a person of color Bechdel test is, right? Whereas they, yeah. it's sometimes they feel a little little like props, but they there's there's at least some work towards making those characters. Well, there's the, the translator. The translator's good. And the, then the, uh, the C-3PO archetype. Yeah. He, he was, <laughs> and, uh, yeah. He yeah was I guess he's a, re- a real person too. He's a, yeah, this is based definitely facts. There are facts. I read a bit, I read his, Richard Burton's book after seeing this movie. I got his, his actual account, you know, and uh, he was definitely, like I said, like progressive and ahead of his time, but his books are pretty readable too for that time. You know, a lot of those, that kind of Victorian era stuff that people, you know, the writing is so overblown and these like like paragraph, like sentences that go on for a whole page or something, you know, but it's kind of hard reading, but it's definitely compared to other people of the time. It's actually pretty readable and the movie seems kind of accurate you know it's definitely like him and speak like i couldn't finish speak's book i tried to read his account his actual the real book and i couldn't get through it at all and burton was definitely a real writer and very like a humanitarian kind of it comes through it's like you really cared like the movie goes and it shows this very clearly i think you know that it sounds like that's how he was actually like in his writing he was really interested in other cultures and you know was not very racist i mean even though i think this movie from what i've read is is it kind of is a little bit rosy you know he had some you know kind of slightly racist things in but for his time you know he was way ahead of his time right and and speak from his writing like the the book yeah it's dull and it's and it's very pompous and and racist like blatant (laughs) much more blatantly yeah well, because like, he's the villain. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, yeah, in real life, in the real book I read, it just, it, they were like night and day. I couldn't finish his book. He was definitely more of his time, and Burton was obviously way ahead of his time. And so I think that that's pretty accurate. I think Burton was doing it to absorb the humanity or to have yeah. the experience, whereas Speak was there to conquer. Right. You know? And that's kind of, he was like, ah, I'm pretty sure it's this lake. I'm not going <laughs> to really make sure. 
Right. Well, let's just get the hell out of here. And it kind of comes by in passing, but the idea that the publisher, I think it was it, right, that mm-hmm. was, was stressing that that speaks an Englishman, whereas Burton has Irish heritage. And so mm-hmm. we don't think of that now. It's like, oh, they're both white people. But like the reality was is that if you were Irish, you were a lower class, right? That, yeah. that was just the thing. And so the argument could be made that, yeah, the reason why he had that perspective or is, the, is that symbol is because, yeah, he was not mm-hmm. of the upper class of right. England, right? He, yeah. he was definitely... Kind of well-to-do, not well-to-do, but he was, wasn't poor or anything. And actually, he kind of grew up, I guess, in like France and Italy and kind of had this kind of con- almost continental upbringing, but was a holy terror and, you know, got into fights and everything. But, but made it to Oxford and it sounded like he hated it and, you know, it was like exactly that, was like surrounded by all these spoiled rich kids rich or, kids. you know, that were just, I don't know, it, it was just like a party he was actually kind of serious, or he, he was obviously a wild person, I think, from an early age, but uh, he found them all frivolous, I think. He was, like, kind of serious, you know, in, even though he was he could be crazy and stuff, but he was was already, like, studying languages. I think he had, yeah, like in the movie, they say he spoke, like, 20-some languages. 23. Yeah. I think the actors did an awesome job of conveying that just in their demeanor and the way they mm-hmm. spoke and the... Obviously, the things they said. I, I'm. I found this to be a very delightful film. I mean, it was long, but I didn't feel long, and I was engaged throughout the whole thing. Yeah, some. It's. It was the right length for these kind of epics. Like sometimes they try to stretch them out even more, and it's you know because mm-hmm. of the Lawrence Arabia thing. And it's like no, you know, I think that's enough time. Right. Two hours, a little <laughs> more than two hours. hours. <laughs> yeah, and I think about these actors. They're both great. And it's like, oh, this is the best movie they were ever in, right? right. I mean, I don't feel like they... I, but you, no, Yeah, they're not very well-known, or yeah. they definitely weren't when they made the movie. That's, of course, because the two of us don't watch Game of Thrones, <laughs> right. but Chris <laughs> has seen Game of Thrones, so, the, yeah, the... Speak is played yeah. by Jorah Mormont <laughs> from Game of Thrones, and... Uh, and He's quite good in that. What's amazing to me is like how instantaneously when someone says a Game of Thrones name, how my brain just shuts off. <laughs> like when I like hear a name like Jorah Mormont, I just go, ugh. I'm not a Game of Thrones fan. I, I didn't make it through that first episode. My wife is a huge fan. She's read all the books. She's met George R.R. R. Martin. <laughs> Mountbatten. <laughs> she actually met George R.R. R. Martin and Kim Kardashian in the same evening. Wow. <laughs> so, <laughs> It's a wonderful the evening. To the Twin Towers of... She spoke with both of them, actually. Western culture. <laughs> yeah. Actually, I just... I got this wonderful Kim Kardashian story, but I can't tell it because it's my... It's a it's my brother-in-law's story. Right, and, right. And if I steal it, I, uh, yeah. I would feel guilty. I would feel like speak... Speak, exactly. Claiming that he had discovered the, <laughs> the origin of the Nile without um, giving... Burton credit. But that's the metaphor, you know? You asked, like, how did England get this power, you know? It's just like, he was right. Speak was right. He, you know, was... He was right. Yeah, he was full of hubris, but he wound up being right. It wasn't Mm -hmm. a fatal flaw. Well, it was a fatal flaw, literally. Literally. I guess, yeah, his his problems. So, spoiler alert, why did did Speak kill himself? (laughs) Do you know more about that, Jim? Or was it a hunting accident, Jim? Right. Well, it... uh, Officially, yeah. Who knows? Officially, I think officially it is, it was a hunting accident. And that is, in the movie, it's vague too. It's obviously, I don't think anybody knows. It doesn't seem that vague. No, yeah. Well, well I guess. Yeah, so I mean. But you never see, yeah. Right. I, I guess. I, you guys, I don't think have been around a lot of guns. I have. <laughs> One of the things that 
when you're handling a gun, you know, especially an established hunter as himself, the gun is always pointed down at the ground, whether you're walking with it, whether you're setting it. You would never set a gun against a, what is that, a fence, a rock fence with the, remember when he did that, he set the barrels, I said, that's a bad idea. Yeah. (laughs) And then, you know, it went off. But so it's just like, that's. It's, I mean, he did do stupid things before, but he's he was a hunter, and yeah, yeah he yeah. shot that lion. So yeah, I think yeah, it's pretty obvious. And, yeah, and it was it was I think literally the, that's true. It was the day before this that he was supposed to debate Richard Burton. Seems a little. It yeah. seems exaggerated. I think that's true, though. I think well, I don't know. I'm not sure if that's just poetic license. Compress the yeah, timeline, time, but who knows? Yeah, I've got really a question sure. for you. Since yeah, again, I don't know a lot about guns, but is it also a bad idea to hand a a cocked handgun to a small child. <laughs> yeah, well, he didn't hand, I mean, Speak didn't hand no, the gun to a small child, true. but he did hand it to, mm-hmm. but and then I was like, oh my God, they're really giving a handgun to a baby in this movie. <laughs> so look forward to that scene. Yeah, I guess that was, but yeah, who gave him, no, the guy who gave him the gun was Burton. Burton gave him the gun. Yeah, the king. As the gift. Yeah, and then the king gave it to the prince. Speak did not prince. give the king the, the gun as a gift. Yeah, and he actually, in a moment of clarity, said, that's very dangerous. <laughs> right. And or something. I don't remember that being in the book, in the real book. So I don't, th- that definitely was very symbolic. I think it was all like European, you know, whatever technology being yeah. introduced to the colonial. Yeah. The corrupting power. Co- yeah. And, it's like a yeah, whole tech. Yeah. Thing, I think, I don't know. Maybe that, um, that's what that, it was. that whole sequence, you know, I'm not the brightest one. I'm probably the dumbest one of the three of us, but, um, I got lost a little bit in that sequel. Like, I didn't quite understand why the king yeah, it goes killed on, his henchmen. goes and, on for a long time. That They're, they're, they're like uh, held hostage by this tribe in the center. Of, like They're halfway through their journey. They're kind of in the middle of nowhere, and they get yeah, abducted basically by this tribe, and they're kind of holding them. And Yeah, that, that part definitely goes on for too long. I just... But and I, I, I didn't understand, like, how, why did he let him go? What, I, I didn't see the point where the relationship crested, right? Because, like, yeah. something happened in that room when he was drugged and, he, and rolling around that made the king distrust his own right-hand man. Yeah, it's like, I think he just kind of had, he was kind of suspicious of him all along. And, and well, he had his locket. I oh, think that's part of it. He, he knew he stole it from mm. Burton maybe. And, and, and Burton yeah, and, had defended him. You know, then, that was like a line that he didn't let him cross before and then yeah. he had crossed that line that mean, meant that something was Yeah, you know, so off. I think he already didn't trust his henchmen and and then Burton kills his friend basically. You know, they're gonna well they're gonna kill him anyways. The, the bad guys and <laughs> he mercy killed this? him. He mer- yeah, yeah. He, it's like, and so the king I think that's respected him for that i think that definitely seemed to be the case and that reminds me so again of of another movie the man who would be king the john houston yeah. movie with sean connery i know jim's seen it uh, have, have you seen, seen that chris uh-uh. that, that could be a movie well i think the, there there are only so many manly movies you can watch in one you know <laughs> d- 12 episode arc here but well, yeah it's we'll it definitely sharky's machine <laughs> exactly <laughs> But the man who would be king, there's a lot about, yeah, the and kind that's, of... That's based on, like, Rudyard Kipling, Kipling yeah. in India. And that's where Richard Burton started in the army. He was in... He's, this the whole part, other part of his life was in India. And he was kind of like a secret agent, I guess, too. He was, like, kind of went undercover and to get information, basically, for, you know, when... The, I don't know much about Indian, the British, you know, 
colonial Indian period, but it's not, you know, it was pretty crazy. And obviously India didn't exist as a whole country and it was all these separate warring factions kind of, or, or the British used ones against each other. You know, they, 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 they formed alliances and attacked other parts and, you know, it was all horrible and violent and bloody. And so Richard Burton was involved in that, I think, like as a, a secret agent, basically like getting in for gathering information on, you know, uh, tribal stuff in all over India, but yeah, all those kind of the weird manly empire, the primitive people and the conquerors, but then also the complexity of that, and then mm-hmm. exploiting you know the naivete of the natives, but then it getting kind of oh the hubris. There's, yeah, yeah, Lawrence, yeah, Lawrence yeah. of Arabia had that too, right? Yeah, he sort yeah. of thought he could walk into wherever, and he got you know he got raped for it you know and these guys got a spear in the face and a lot of body a lot of body horror in this film yeah Yeah. and so when i was driving up that's the one thing the ear the bug in the ear scene was what i remembered and then i remembered the spear in the face after (laughs) that like right when the movie started i was like oh yeah there's that too when i saw patrick bergen's face or he was talking about something sitting there and i was like oh yeah (laughs) Because <laughs> it was, and I know Jim knew too. As I don't know, for some reason, it was just like seeing his face turning and looking, and it was like, oh yeah, he gets a spear in that face. I forgot about that. It, it's just like, yeah, the that the blew my of- mind. <laughs> that scene, I was like, this is the end of the movie. What, like the guys, they, when like he's swinging his head around with it stuck in it. He's like, yeah, oh my god. <laughs> and then like almost like what a couple minutes later, Speak is getting stabbed in both and in one slowly of his arms, in both each his yeah, legs, both legs, and then in an arm. Yeah, and it's just like wow. That is a great way to open a movie, I guess. <laughs> yeah, because you're like, where are these these guys are going to walk into the middle of Africa? They've got a spear in his face. His legs are got holes in them. <laughs> yeah, is it is it really just a movie about two guys like hobbled guys trying to get out of the desert <laughs> yeah. for the next two hours? <laughs> That's what it kind of felt like. <laughs> but the yeah, the bug in the ear that I had actually forgotten all about that, mm. and, and then. I remembered it again, but uh, yeah, after seeing this movie for the first time, whatever, 25, 30 years ago, ever since I've never slept without like my head, I mean, blankets pulled over my head, I think, you know, that's probably where I started. (laughs) I definitely sleep with a pillow on my head. (laughs) What do you do, Chris? What are you going to do from now on? Earplugs? No, I sleep face down. Yeah. (laughs) So I don't know. I'm not worried about a bug crawling in my ear. I'm not afraid of it. (laughs) So what's scary is I somebody I knew. Yeah. Had that happen? Had a bug crawl? Yeah. Wait in in civil in civil real life? Yes. And what happens? It was a cockroach. Yeah. It drives you crazy from his, I don't, again, I don't want to tell somebody else's story, but when he was telling me the story, it's like you wake up and you've got this amazing scratchy noise in one of your ears. Oh no. And bugs don't back up. So it's just going to keep going. And then running to the drugstore, I think he said, and got like the ear thing, right? Like the the ear cleaning kit. Uh-huh. Sprayed the ear cleaning kit in there. It started bubbling and it just started scrabbling more. Oh, no. And then... <laughs> Was it went to the hospital, and s- somebody like the nurse tried to grab it with tweezers and pulled off a leg or something. It was just like that, <laughs> oh, and then Jesus finally got Christ. it out and screamed or something. It was just it just sounds like it's a horrific experience apparently. But he didn't stick a compass into his, his ear. ear that, and, and that seems overreacting a bit. I don't know, like, <laughs> jamming it in that hard. I don't know. Yeah, in this movie, I don't know. That was a little extreme. It stays with that and like... But that's true. Yeah, that's definitely in the book. That's real because he he couldn't hear. Yeah, he punctured his... Perforated his eardrum or something. All right, now I'm going to sleep with... I'm going to have to sleep with headphones on. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. You got to do something, man. (laughs) You got to protect your ears. Yeah. (laughs) It's just so tempting for those those bugs. (laughs) 
Jesus. <laughs> that is horrible. Kansas City. Food-wise, a city famous for its barbecue. But that's about to change. My name is W. Dave Keith, host of the podcast Taco the Town, and I believe that Kansas City is one of the most underrated, underappreciated, up-and-coming taco towns in the USA. On Taco the Town, we will shine a light on all the amazing tacos Kansas City has to offer. Kansas City is a great taco town filled with a variety of untapped taco stylings and flavors, and on the Taco the Town podcast, we won't stop until we've tasted every taco in the town. No taco table will go unturned. Each episode, we review a new taco joint with a special guest we share taco memories discuss taco topics and put tacos to the test we check the latest stories in taco news and no taco is off the table on taco the town if you love tacos like i do you're gonna love taco the town available on itunes stitcher podbean and google play that's taco the town Some notes on the film. It cost $18 million to make. It made $4 million. <laughs> oh. I am even amazed in 1990 that this film got made, right? So if you yeah. think about the history of film, right? So, yeah, I mean, another reason why it feels like a 60s film is because, yeah, it's got sex and violence and all that kind of stuff, but it's not, there's nothing about it that I think a movie company would want to pay for. You know, by the 1980s, and that's the thing is Bob Rafelson hasn't directed that many movies. It's since they made this, movies like Out of Africa, and yeah, I mean they kind of made these weird. The line, what's the one with Michael Douglas and Val the, Kilmer? The Ghost in the, the Darkness. Ghost in the Darkness. In the darkness. Yeah, that's kind of the same. Or a little bit yeah. later, a little after. This. Yeah, the, you know, the sex scene in this was a lot. And thinking more about it, referencing other films was like, "Don't look back." Have you guys ever seen? Oh Don't yeah, look back. But Julie Christie and Donald, Donald Sutherland. Sutherland. Yeah, that oh, was man. a weird sort of shadowy. I get chills just thinking about that movie, that ending of that movie. Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah, Nicholas Reg died a while ago. and I just Super creepy. Yeah, I can't. That's that's a lost and found and rewound film, yeah, I would say. That movie, people reference so much. I think it was so profoundly influential when it came out. And the fact that it doesn't... Yeah, it doesn't seem like it's had the kind of... Well, I think it's because Nicholas Regg's... You know, the other movies he's made are a little just... Are just so weird. And, well, The Man Who Fell to Earth, I guess. I'm trying to think of the ones. I saw the crazy one in the theater, at the art theater in Champaign. Teresa Russell and Gary Oldman. It's like called Track 29. It's like a later, like oh, 80s yeah. film. And I just remember like Gary... Old men like like on pee back on top of Teresa Russell like screaming or something. I just I can barely wow. remember the movie, but it was just like so nuts and and so yeah. Don't look. Yeah, Nicholas Reg. Nicholas Reg was the editor on Lawrence of Arabia, right? Uh, That's what's even crazier. Is I think I'm gonna look that up. I'm pretty sure. There you go. There's a lineage. There's <laughs> a lineage. I thought that was the, one. the or young, was it, oh, yeah, what's young her name? Woman. Yeah. Oh, she, you're right. She was really young and yeah. She, so what did Nicholas Reg? Was she, she was the, at the? She was. I saw her at the. Roger yeah. Roger Ebert Ebert Fest down in Champagne. She he showed a, a immaculate a new print of Lawrence of Arabia seventy millimeter print, and she was there. He interviewed her. And she said it was the best it had looked. 
it looked better than the premiere in London, you know, that showing in Champagne. Were so you was, at the Eberfest where Bob Brafelson was? Were you I think so. There, yeah. I kept, yeah. I was trying movie. to remember that. I thought he was. Yeah. And, and it I was couldn't that, remember what movie he was, was showing. It was like he Blood showed. and Wine. It's, yeah. So this is the thing about Roger Ebert. It's like, I'm pretty sure he would be friends with filmmakers mm-hmm. and he'd kind of give good reviews to his friends' yeah. movies. Which I guess is a natural thing. So and so when we went to that that one Ebert Fest, he showed this movie Blood yeah. and Wine. It's got Jack Nicholson. I can't even remember it. And it was just like, wow, this is just like old sixties dude movie, but like totally out of touch kind of <laughs> film. In the same way that like how this movie was out of time. Right. But this is a few years later. It's like a fifty year old dude. Fifty year old guy here who's talking, but you know, it, an it just, ancient. It just felt fifty year old. I, I, I barely remember the movie, but it just felt yeah. like why would anyone like this movie? So this is the other thing is Peter Hyams. So I'm always suspicious. The guy who did Capricorn One, right? He was a news reporter or worked at Channel Two News in Chicago. So he was buddies with, like, you know, hung out at the same bar all the reporters did. The Billy right? Goat, yeah, whatever, yeah. And so his movies, like what's the one from the 90s with uh, Mimic, right? Have you ever seen that movie? I I saw that in the theater because Ebert gave it a good review. And it's about like these cockroach, like doppelganger aliens in the subway system of New York. And what's her name is in it. Is it Mira Sorvino or something like that? Yeah, Mira Sorvino. But isn't that about the Mothman in Chicago? Maybe, but it's just, I feel like like Bob Rafelson must have been another person like this where it's like, Roger would, would kind of help him out if he had it. Well, this the the thing is, is he didn't need his help. But well, it, this was a good film. But this was oh, a good yeah, film. Yeah. This one was good. It yeah. actually only has a sixty eight percent on Rotten Tomatoes hmm. by critics. Hmm. Although I couldn't find a bad review, so I'm not sure where the <laughs> the dings come from. It only won one award: the Evening Standard British Film Award. So was this only a British film? No. Or was this released no. in the states? I, yeah, I guess was, if the if it was on sneak previews. Then. I read an interview with him just kind of recently, well, 2014, with Bob Rafelson, and he's talking about this movie, how much he loved it, and how it was so kind of bummed out that it didn't do anything. And, and he definitely blames sort of the studio, went bankrupt, I think, and they weren't into, you know, it was Carol Co. Pictures. But it was it was distributed by some other, like, I don't know if it was TriStar or something, but they had the, it, so it wasn't their movie, the pro, pro, promoters weren't, it wasn't their movie. They they had their own period movie coming out at the same time, which was Glory, the Civil War. Oh. And so they backed that one. That's That was his theory. He was like, well, yeah, and this Rafelson's movie wasn't their movie. They were just promoting it. And so they put all their uh, resources into Glory because that was their movie. So I, I think a film kind of, of this uh, heft needs a big marketing campaign. Like I... Mm-hmm. I or a big star, and it didn't yeah, that have was, either. That, yeah, that was the other thing he he meant. He admitted he kind of was like, yeah, it was the other. Weren't any big stars, but I mean, but, now when people go back to see what Jorah Mormont has done in his previous career, <laughs> you know, this film was going to have a new life, a second life. Yeah, Nicholas Rigg was the second unit director on Lawrence of Arabia. Uh-huh. He was not the editor. Mm-hmm. Sorry. Speaking <laughs> of stars, in, in in my housekeeping items. I had listed the things that I've watched since the last film. One of them was Killing Eve, which... Oh, uh, the TV series. Yeah, and the woman from Killing Eve is the love interest in this film. Fiona Shaw. Fiona mm. Shaw. Yeah, mm. she's fantastic in it. Mm. The other things I watched were Mind Hunter, uh, which is a... The TV series? or yep. the Yeah. 
Yeah, that's I great. I started watching that, and I, I, I fell out of it. I, I watched the first few episodes of the first season. but It's a little slow. I, I'd advise <laughs> yeah. you to keep watching it, because it gets really good. Yeah, maybe I'll do that. I watched Glow, and then I watched In the Theater, In a Row, In the Same Day, First Blood, Rambo, First Blood oh, Part man. 2, Rambo 3, John Rambo, and Rambo Last Blood. So yeah. that just came out? So that was like a big... Two days ago, I wow. watched... Every Rambo. I took my son to see every Rambo film. <laughs> it's from in what succession. I I remember the shock was how different Rambo and then or First Blood and Rambo. Right, what's the second one called? Rambo Two, Electric Boogaloo. Sorry, the the first film was called First, first Blood. Blood. The yeah. second film was called Rambo First Blood Part Two. Okay, yeah. The third film was called Rambo Three. The fourth film was called John Rambo. I don't need to hear all the names again. <laughs> Fifth film is Rambo Last Blood. And when is Rambo Creed coming out? Or what is it? Rambo Rocky Rambo Creed 2? Yeah, did Rambo have a, it'll be the Brian Dennehy character? It'll be Dennehy? But there's a distinct, like, total politically different, like, tone between First Blood and Rambo, First Blood 2, right? They don't feel, they feel, I feel, yes. that's what I first, remember. First Blood is about It's like a 70s PTSD. movie. It's about, yeah. yeah, it's about guys coming home from the war, not being treated respectfully, not being able, and being treated like garbage, even though they fought for their country. Yeah. You know, and they did what they were told, right? And we've, we've certainly reversed that narrative. Now we have, thank you for your service. So we don't really blame the soldiers anymore, but back right. then we did, and, and Stallone went hard after that. First Blood Part Two, Rambo First Blood Part Two was about <laughs> us leaving POWs in Vietnam yeah. because we reneged on some deal to pay somebody something. The country, we were supposed to pay $8 million, and basically they kept our POWs because we reneged on that deal. So it was him. But then Rambo Last Blood is all about how if we don't build a wall, we're going to be flooded by killers, murderers, and drugs. Really? Wow. Yeah, wow, it, okay. was, it was very trump Centric. <laughs> so that's what I. That's what was shocking to me. I remember when I saw the second Rambo movie. Let's just call it that. Rambo: First Blood Part Two. His very first good. Blood very seemed good. very, very much. Even though it was after the seventies, right? Or was it? Anyways, it felt 1980. like a, Yeah, it felt like a seventies movie. Four the next years one ago. felt like a Reagan, Reagan movie, right? Like so. The second yes. is where. And and I remember. I think it was in college and and watching the first. I can't remember where. I think it must have been seeing the second movie. They showed the second movie, or maybe they showed the first movie. But seeing both movies and realizing how the world was changing. You know, and it was like, oh, if movies are going to be like this now instead of explorations of kind of like what what this movie we're talking about, right? It's kind of like we're going to have that era. We have that era of American Empire movies, right? And that Reagan era really initiated, you know, um, I'm thinking of like Red Dawn. You know, it's like mm-hmm. it was really quickly that, that kind of liberal 70s kind of progressive... Yeah, the war was bad, but, you know... Um, the soldiers weren't. Soldiers weren't doing and, what they Yeah, did. and, like, trying to work out all those issues, and then, then it just became uh, war, kill. There are bad people. Let's kill them. You know, kind of, it went to that kind of Reagan Cold War, back to the very good guy, bad guy kind of filmmaking. Interestingly enough, Rambo 3, and now that you mention it, the first half of Rambo 3 is a lot like this film that we just watched today. Mm-hmm. I, I'm not, not kidding. It's He goes to Afghanistan. He learns the customs of the people. He actually plays that game with them where they drag a dead sheep around. I'm and trying to remember if I saw this movie. It's like he actually is learning all about that. And there's no violence or action in the whole like first half of the film. And I was actually quite captivated by it. And then the second half is 
like all violent and there's Russians, you know, the Russians are the bad guys. Of course, the Taliban are the good guys because Rambo is joining forces with the Taliban to help them fight the Russians. And that's just kind of falls flat. It's just all the same schlocky bullshit. And then at the very end of the film, the last, there's a freeze frame and the card comes up and says, this film is dedicated to the people of the Taliban. And <laughs> oh my God. Did you not know this? No. He's helping basically Osama the, bin Laden <laughs> and those, uh, the, it's like the brave freedom fighters of the Taliban and right, their against, fight against the Russians. Mm-hmm. Afghanistan is so messed up. Is not, it? not, and that's that's what Richard Burton was involved in. The British <laughs> British were in the eighteen forties in in that, Afghanistan, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah they yeah. couldn't, get, they couldn't beat them either. Yeah, and by messed up, I mean yeah, just just how it's affected so much of our history and war and and yeah, the people we were helping out to battle the Russians, right, wound up being the people who wound up going after us, right? And yeah. taking down 9-11. It's, it's amazing because they talk about they're overrun by the Russians. They're like, let's flee to Pakistan. Like, it's it's yeah. like it's just a, a playbook for what happened with Osama bin Laden. And then there's this little boy at the very end who's like, thank you, Rambo. And Rambo gives him like a necklace to remember him by for good luck. And I'm like, I lean over to my son and I'm like, that young boy turned out to be Osama bin Laden. <laughs> well, you know, I mean, I've got the chills again. I mean, you know whose dad built, you know, one of the Saudi Arabian American Air Force bases. I mean, the Bin Laden family is is a construction company. Oh, That's right. where all his money came from. Osama Bin Laden spent a huge amount of time working on American Air Force bases and stuff for his father's company. It's 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 it's. And that's why, yeah, all those people who were part of that company and part of that family, you know, got put onto planes after 9-11, you know, or on 9-11. They were the only planes that flew out of this country. (laughs) Exactly, because it's like, these are the people who built our Air Force bases in Saudi Arabia, you know, and it's like, oh, they're, oop, they got, one of their sons apparently got the wrong idea when he was hanging around here. (laughs) Yeah, I mean. Got bent out of shape about those Americans hanging out and, and sinning and building bases in our country. It would have been hard for them to live in America <laughs> after that. Yes, exactly. That's true, too. This reminds me, you're talking all this about these Rambo movies. I thought it was right. The, the, that company that put out Mountains of the Moon that went bankrupt was the same company. It's Carol this Carol Co. Co. They did yeah. all those Rambo movies. They too. did all the Rambo yeah, movies? so that was did just before really? this came out. And so it was like that was the kind of the beginning of the end. They went bankrupt or something right after Mountains of the Moon. But they just, it sounded like they, yeah, they didn't, had no interest in this movie at all or they just, they needed something to make money and it obviously, obviously didn't. But again, they, you would need a big star and you would need a campaign. Like I think about Once Upon a Time in America. I think was a kind of a hefty, mm. long, weighty picture that I, I watched as a kid. Mm. I think it actually did okay, but I think did it? I think it did because I, I mean they yeah because De Niro was saw in it, it and, yeah, and, but it, I mean I knew about it's not a lost and found or wow it wasn't like as big as the Godfather, which I think is what their hope was. But I mean it was mm. big enough. But I mean this no this film was great. Carol Coe also did Cutthroat Island. That no. would help take you down too. That was the Rennie Harlan and uh, Gina Davis. Gina Davis. But you know, they, Rennie Harlan and Gina Davis did one of my favorite action films. My wife and I love it. It's uh, the uh, Long Kiss Goodnight. Lady the, with the oil tanker. I saw that in the theater. Yeah, with Samuel Jackson. So did we. We we, we thought it found it delightful. I I was already pretty cynical by the time I saw that. <laughs> I do have. I'd say of the three of us, I probably have the most tolerance. <laughs> Which well, you might guess from. 
I just sat through nine hours of <laughs> Rambo, Rambo movies and laughed my ass off with my son. So I think I actually said something like somebody might have said, oh, yeah, maybe we should go see that Rambo movie. And I said, I'm not even listening to you talking. Someone, one of my children might have said that. I think I, I actually said I absolutely will not go to see that. You say Uncle Chris will take you <laughs> yeah, exactly. not only gotta, to that film. But to the four, pre- four preceding <laughs> films. There really was that Rambo 3 kind of slowed down on us, but then the fourth Rambo is so delightful <laughs> that like it really re-energized us and we made, we made it through. I don't think you know what that word means. <laughs> you keep using, what is it? You keep using that word, I but do. I do not think you know what it means. Well, like I, when I'm smiling and enjoying yeah. something, I feel like it's delightful. Is that wrong? No. Although my wife tells me, like, sometimes she has to lean over and say, don't laugh at that. Because I'll, like, be sitting. <laughs> I remember, speaking of um, Sylvester Stallone, I was watching uh, Copland. I was watching Copland. Oh, I love that movie. Yeah, I love it, too. And it's got a little Stallone bit of ear terror in it, too. It does. Yeah, it does have ear terror. Hearing um, loss. It's one of my things. <laughs> you don't like it. No. You know, you're anti-hearing loss. Yeah. But Anytime in a movie someone shoots off a gun next to someone's head and then they make that, that high-pitched squeal noise and the, you can't hear any sound in the movie, I'm just like, oh, I don't like that at all. At the end of Copland, I think Stallone starts killing people like aggressively and I'm like laughing my ass <laughs> off after, after having cried through the middle of the film. <laughs> and my wife was like, you, got, you, you can't cry at this part and you can't <laughs> yeah. laugh. You got to stop <laughs> laughing. So anyway. That we, was my wife and I went to see Titanic after the movie had been out for like, whatever a month or two or three months and everyone was saying it's the best movie in the world went to the theater i think at the time we were musicians so it was like during the day and went into an empty theater with just two women in front of us and then the two of us and it was like the two women this was back in the old days when people would see movies over and over again the two women were like have you ever seen this before and we're like no and then (laughs) and then they're like oh my god it is so good this is like the 10th time we're seeing it everything like that and we're like oh wow okay and then we start watching it and there's the scene where the bodies are falling do you remember right, this? Yeah, the bad CGI yeah. of the plunging bodies onto the like the rotaries. The rotary, the we're literally weeping colors. with laughter at the people plunging to their deaths <laughs> and these poor women. It's just like oh, so inappropriate. But it was just like I this I can't I can't take this seriously. This is so. Should this film be lost? I think this film is lost. I don't. I don't think very many people have seen this film. But should should it be lost? I, I guess no. No, it's no. I'm no. sorry. Yeah. I think it's a great film. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's great. I hadn't seen it in several years, and I still I still enjoyed it. Yeah. I, so should this film be found? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, and uh, I'm I'm a little frustrated. I think I think it is good. It would be good to watch it without. So if somebody listens to it and then watches it, it'll be kind of ruined, but not really. There's, mm-hmm. there's, it's so visceral. It is a manly man movie, though. I don't feel like, mm-hmm. but it's it's better than. Well, yeah, no, it's it's. I wouldn't say. Yeah, it's a little more enlightened as far as manly man. It's it's kind of like a '60s manly man movie that's that's slightly updated. It's it's macho at points, yeah. but then it's also openly homoerotic yeah. and very cool with that. So I mean, yeah. in that way, it's it's progressive. So yeah, I think that's in fact, cool. for 1990, yeah, it was it was pretty progressive. Our mm-hmm. our test usually so far has been should it be found would mean you know yeah. would you say to a, a coworker or a class of students watch this film? This one's safe, right? I would say this is a safe one to recommend. Yeah. The worst thing is I'd be like, oh, this guy likes boring films, right? <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> it is, it's kind of like, oh, oh, this is some kind of old dude movie, right? <laughs> yeah, but I, I don't feel like, yeah, I feel like they wouldn't say to you, whoa, 
you know, if if they wouldn't think you were a weirdo, like right? You asked him to watch Wicker Man, right? Exactly, exactly. <laughs> yeah, the sex sexual stuff in Wicker Man is weird, right? Yeah, I'm trying to remember now. It's been a while, but yeah, it it just and just everything about it is weird, right? It's more pagan. Whereas this is more because even the homosexual stuff in this film was very so comfortable. I don't find yeah. that I don't think people would like. I, that was the nice thing about it was the gay characters and the gay moments were so comfortable that it didn't feel like a big reveal or a big deal. Right. Whereas in Wicker Man, it was still it was like sort of there was somewhat of an embracing, but still using it for shock value. There was still, yeah, there was still that kind of shock. Mm-hmm. Yeah, whereas this was more like, yeah, just kind of normalizing. Even the sex between him and his girlfriend in this film felt very natural. They're yeah. having a conversation, having a slap and a tickle, I guess I don't know what you call that. <laughs> yeah. It was all just very jovial. Yeah, you know what? These were like realistic human relationships. Yes. And it was also like, oh, men can, you know, have, have an emotional connection. And it, 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 in some ways, yeah, it sometimes is like a romance. That's what's, you know, mm-hmm. I was a little giggly at certain points because they mm-hmm. would like look at each other or even yeah. at the end, you know, it's like, <laughs> oh, it is playing it like a romance film. And that's kind of what it is. It's like you've got the the traditional male-female kind of relationship, but then the male-male relationship is not as sort of macho as it would be in an action film or like a cop film, right? I did almost get a little weepy when he's touching this, the sculpted, the clay face and everything yeah. like that. It's like so, so weird and intense. I just didn't know how to process that. It was like, <laughs> yeah, very intimate and strange and such a... Very, odd construct very like Blade him. Runner at the same time. Yeah, because <laughs> it's like a death mask and he's a sculptor and he's molding and is like, oh, wow, it's such a weird moment, like if you think about it, but it yeah. works and it has like, it is a little heavy handed, but it worked for me. No, I thought it was a great moment. Yeah. That's when I turned you both and asked to <laughs> sculpt away the <laughs> exactly. excess fat on my death mask so I look better. Right. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's like, I, I don't want my death mask to look like me. I want it to look like, yeah. The like, best version yeah, of me. Yeah, me with like a good 30 pounds. <laughs> the me Kardashian. Off. Yeah. Should, I came, came across the speak, my, not his tomb, but his, there's a monument in the middle of uh, Hyde Park in London oh, wow. that I stumbled across once. That's just, a, it's like a big uh, obelisk. It just says speak and something about the Nile and Yon's Lake, whatever it's like. Victoria Nyanza. or? Victoria Nyanza. Yeah. The, I think the, the word for lake is Nyanza in Swahili or Did something. Did he look like Jorah Mormont? <laughs> no, it was just, it's just a, there's nothing. No, it's not oh. a statue. It's just a, a plinth. And oh, and they, that's the other thing too. The, I, I didn't see this personally. I saw this online more recently. Richard and Isabel Burton's tomb, which is in, outside of London or not actually not far from someone we know. Hmm. I think Isabel, his wife designed, you know, he died first and then she's buried there too now, but she designed the tomb and it looks like a tent. It's like a stone, you know, like a, a mausoleum, little mausoleum, but it looks like a tent, this very ornate little tent. But the creepy thing is if you walk around the back, there's a little ladder and there's a window and you can look, climb up and you can see their coffins inside the crypt. Oh, wow. There's all kinds of, there's like weird lanterns, like Eastern kind of lanterns and things. And it, there's a bunch of pictures online of it, but it looked kind of run down. It look, looks like recently they've cleaned it up. <laughs> but for a while there, it was like it, some of the pictures were obviously from a few years ago, several years ago, and it was like kind of creepy and dusty. Like the Garden there, of Eden. If right, you go to exactly. Jim and I went <laughs> to the Garden of Eden, we didn't get to go into the tomb, but in if you... Kansas, yeah. Yeah, and uh, I forget what the city is in it's, Kansas. Uh, yeah, it's, it's not, not Lefevre. St- I keep wanting to say it's not Stull. Stull. No, no, that's not the other Stull. place. Yeah, that's oh. the, where the devil came up. <laughs> it's, uh, what's it called? I can't I remember, but 
but it's a guy who did just did a bunch of cement sculptures in his yard yeah. and then encased himself in cement and his wife. <laughs> but it's a pyramid, yeah. I recommend it. Yeah, yeah. I recommend visiting. We need to go back when it's open because we kind of right. just drove out there. Which, should this film be rewound? Would should we watch it again? I, mean, I think this is my third time watching it. <laughs> I'd say yes. I'd watch it again. Yeah. Yeah, in a few years. Yeah, I, yeah. I'd give it a rest. I would not watch it immediately. Yeah, I it, need it, to it, forget about all the bad stuff, <laughs> which I don't. I mean, it's that's the thing is like it, I've, I think it's been probably twenty years since I've seen it, mm-hmm. and it's like all the stuff starts coming rushing back. It's just like oh, he's gonna have to. Oh, that's right. There is more. He's gonna have to stab himself in the legs. <laughs> Going back to my thing about how this film references films before, although it seems like it's older than those films, Star Trek. To the Wrath of Khan. Right, right, the ear stuff. <laughs> has yeah. the ear stuff oh, yeah. as well. We should mention that Roger Deakins worked on this film, yeah. cinematographer. We did the Coen Brothers movies, yeah. right? He's been done a lot of, of not stuff. Not all yeah. of them, but several of them. Yeah, I'm interesting to see his earlier films. I guess he did Sid and Nancy too. I, I right. need to watch that again. Because he's a, a lot about natural light, but then also using lighting in the set. But he's got a cinematography blog that I haven't gone deeply into, but he ta- you know, talks about different lighting rigs and different strategies and sketches of how he does all his lighting and everything like that. And it's a lot of, a lot of times he, you know, is, it's got collections of light bulbs that he's screwing into the fixtures and the set and everything like that. He's not just doing lighting, but he, he like manipulates the lighting in the set itself, like if it's a location and everything like that. And so there was, there's some weird lighted moments. The lion, right when he was walking up to the lion... Did you notice that there was like a huge like reflection, like using a big reflector on him to light up Mm. the, uh, what's his name? Patrick Bergen, but it was, it it was a strange moment. Mm -hmm. So it's nice to see that somebody who's like this master where you see little moments that weren't quite right. (laughs) So, you know, okay, you're still learning stuff. Right. It you sounds know. sounds like the production was rushed. Well, well, like they, yeah, they didn't have a ton of money, but they did a lot of stuff on a shoestring, or, or like he did stuff stripped down. Like he didn't have the whole crew. Like him and a smaller group would go out. They were definitely this. A lot of this, yeah, is all filmed in Africa, and they would just do these. It was kind of gorilla like. So it definitely was. So was the was lion it? scene real? I wonder how they <laughs> shot. Oh that. yeah, yeah. Was I it mean, like that Tippy Hedren film Roar? Oh, oh, <laughs> right where she has the yeah that where they're living with living lions. With the lions. People were yeah. mauled on set. Yeah. <laughs> and I just got to put in a word for Richard E. Grant, the evil publisher. Yeah. He's always amazing. And <laughs> oh, I wanted to mention the music too. The guy who did this is Michael Small. And I really like the music in this movie. I don't know. It was kind of, you know, it's kind of old fashioned a bit. You know, it's kind of like epic, you know, and but I think it works really well. Or it has a He wrote lot of, the African songs too, actually. Yeah. There was some traditional stuff, but then, yeah, he just kind of created stuff just in like rhythmic things and mixed it together. And did you look up about him? Like he did... Just like about this cl- film. Clute. He did Clute Ooh. and Par- oh. Parallax View. Oh, man. I love that, the music to Parallax View. Yeah. And Marathon Man. Oh, and Marathon the, Man's fantastic music. The Driver. Oh, oh driver's The Driver. Driver, yeah. <laughs> and he did Star Chamber. Remember, Star oh yeah, Chris. Man, so he's like a good conspiracy filmmaker, <laughs> huh? Yeah, because Chris and I got obsessed with Star Chamber twenty some years ago. We did, like, yeah. Remember? We were, I don't know if I instigated it or it was like. Remember that it was like an, just seeing TV ads. Like, neither of us had ever seen that that movie called Star Chamber. That sounded re- looked really cool, and we rented it. It was in Lawrence, Kansas, at that video store that Hastings, you were yeah. talking about. Yeah, and and it was it was a letdown, right? It was a letdown. <laughs> it was like, it was, it's kind of like I'd like to see it again. To it's kind of like the Octagon. I was always very intrigued, but then I watched the Octagon. I was like, "This is terrible." 
the preview <laughs> was the best part of the movie. Yeah. yeah. Well, just the concept of yeah. well, now it's just MMA fighting. <laughs> now that you, know, you can watch the Octagon every Sunday at 2 p.m. <laughs> oh, Omar Sharif was in this movie. Yeah, that was weird. <laughs> Uncredited. <laughs> <laughs> just Speaking of Lawrence of Arabia. He that was, was Lawrence of Arabia. Yeah, and, and Dr. Zhivago, which Nicholas Reich was also second unit cameraman on. I watched. Oh, yeah, we got to do our housekeeping. <laughs> what, what did you watch? Not to extend this, but I just have to talk about this movie because I'm the only person who likes it. After Hours, I watched that again. I love that Martin Scorsese movie. movie. Actually, that's a movie where I've recommended to a a guy who who teaches film at ISU. And I said, he was doing a Martin Scorsese thing. And I said, are you going to show After Hours? And he goes, I don't think I've seen that one. And Uh then I said, well, okay. I'm I'm gonna say it's my favorite Martin Scorsese movie, and then my 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 wife tells me every time I start laughing <laughs> during the movie again. There you go. It's like there's something wrong with you. Why do you like this movie? <laughs> like it's it's like that's definitely a movie. And then this guy who's you know seen tons of films, obviously writes about film, film studies, everything like that. Sure. And your wife is right. There's something wrong with you when you, after you watched it. <laughs> I love that movie. It, no, is that, doesn't Frank Oz get his brains blown out in that movie? No, not After Hours. Or am I thinking of Into the Night? Yeah, maybe. After Hours is um, oh, maybe I have Ter- wrong Griffin Terry, Terry Gar is in it. Yeah, Catherine O'Hara. It's a great movie. Griffin Dunn. Who else is in it? Yeah, he's just trying to get home. Yeah, he's right. like, yeah, yeah. He's just trying just to get home. Get yeah. home. That's yeah. a great movie. Yeah. It is it's funny. It is comedy. Yeah. Oh, I laugh so much during that movie, but it's normal people don't like that movie. <laughs> Yeah, well, I'm not a normal person. Yeah, I've never claimed to be. <laughs> it's I like, try to be. It's like dark, like Taxi Driver, but in a way that's funny. It's also stolen. Half of it is stolen from a Joe Frank episode. Oh, there was some kind of settlement made. The guy, it, somebody wrote it. NYU film school guy wrote it and apparently lifted most of it from a Joe Frank episode at the beginning of it, and then they bought the script and then had to settle later on when somebody realized, oh, this kid who wrote the script stole it. But a lot of it, not all of it. So they bought the script and all the plagiarism that came with it. I could tie in, you know, like another British TV show, old TV show, to like I've been tying every movie we've watched to some British TV show. This Like Children of the Stones? (laughs) Yeah, right. And the uh, whole Victorian explorer thing reminded me of, uh, there was this 70s show called uh, Ripping Yarns. Oh, okay. It's with uh, Michael Palin and... Terry Jones wrote it from Ooh. Monty Python. and I've heard of that show. It's like boys' stories, like from the early 20th century. It's like based on, like I guess, Edwardian kind of stories for boys, like before there were comic books. You know, they have these, these silly, you know, little adventure stories. And so every episode is some kind of crazy story, you know. And one of the episodes is called something like Across the Andes by Frog. And it's all this, you know, <laughs> satire of this British expedition across the Michael Palin is a the leader of the expedition and wants to cross the Andes by frog. But it's one of the best episodes and it's definitely... Is it animated or is it... No, no. It's, yeah, it's regular. And like Denim Elliott is in that episode. He's really great. But it's very much like a satire of like this people in the, in mountains of the moon. The, the real people. It, it's like this. <laughs> it's a, a nice. They an- have no respect for British <laughs> history. Yeah, it's, it's a nice an- an- antidote to the. If you watch one and watch this, but I think it's probably on YouTube. Cross the Andes by Frog. All right, I'm watching it. Oh, I know what I watched. This is a movie I can watch over and over again. I don't know what's wrong with me. It's a Liam Neeson film. Taken? Yeah, I'd love it. No, it's close oh. though. 
It's the one about the the wolves. The gray. The gray. That's a fantastic film. I love that movie. I, I there is something wrong with me. It's like men, you know, plane crash. It's got the plane crash. It's got people being killed by animals, being hunted. When he tapes the broken liquor <laughs> bottles to his <laughs> hand it's... to kill the wolf. Yeah. So there there was a great moment where we all individually there's about five of us who had watched Taken mm-hmm. and loved it. Like this is before kind of taken it was right when people were starting yeah, to, yeah. to admit to one another that taken was a good movie yeah yeah and so we were all like yeah you like taken yeah you like taken because we're all <laughs> supposed to be intellectual but we right we, we're not so then we're like well let's watch the gray together and <laughs> and you know if it's bad we'll just make fun of it and we, then we just like at the end of it we're just like that was awesome <laughs> <laughs> it was great it's got oh the death in that there's there's a death where he he basically bring someone across the threshold. I don't know if you remember. I, I'd forgotten it and I watched it again and it's like, wow. It's it's like oh <laughs> like he's I don't remember basically it. somebody's dying and he's talking them through it. You know, it's just like you're gonna feel it come over you. <laughs> You know, it's like the Liam Neeson voice, but instead of him like on the phone threatening someone, right? right? It's him him guiding another man to death. It's it's similar where it's like this this manly kind of but emotional, like almost intimate moment well it is a very intimate moment and it's it's death and yeah oh you're gonna hear your grandmother let it wash <laughs> yeah, over yeah, you let it wa- it's totally <laughs> like that and it's just like oh man i hope liam neeson's there when i die man like if we can get him you know bring him in to well, just guide me well, to the other side i'll be dead talk to jim he'll he'll, he'll help you through that moment <laughs> I'll uh, I'll leave some money. Start working on trying for to find you his to his, get Liam Neeson. Yeah, maybe to. he just needs to make a tape or something. Yeah. yeah. Oh, there you go. Yeah, Liam. like a video in hospitals, like a hospice <laughs> kind of video. <laughs> Sorry, it's, it's actually I'm obviously, I'm obviously that much much darker than I think I am. <laughs> I think I'm a pretty happy person, but it's just I don't know what it is about. That reminds me of the Lester Holt videos at the Cook County when you go for jury duty, and it's like. <laughs> It's Lester Holt used to be on the local right. know, news in Chicago, and he, for twenty, I think there's. I'm sure they're still there. They they for the past twenty some years, the the videos that introduce you, you know, when you're a juror, you're waiting to be called. It's a video done by Lester Holt. So, <laughs> and I'm thinking of that scene in uh, Soylent Green where uh, Ed, Edward G. Robinson goes to the the death house, and they he you know they it's it's uh, assisted suicide. And mm-hmm. and the the whole beautiful film while he's uh, I of the world so, with I haven't seen so many flowers. Oh my thing. god! I know. I guess. Yeah. <laughs> I think we need to do a special three parts <laughs> uh, Charlton Heston apocalypse trilogy. The I Charlton haven't seen Heston, Omega Man. Omega I Man. Seen Soylent Green. Soylent Green and Planet of the Apes. Right. You just the trilogy of the apocalypse trilogy. Charlton Heston apocalypse trilogy. And on that commitment. We'll conclude today's episode. Okay. Good night. Good night. Lost and Found and Rewound is fully funded by Lost and Found and Rewound Foundation Funds. Lost and Found and Rewound does not use crowdfunding because our listeners have better things to do with their funding. There's no need to post reviews of Lost and Found and Rewound because our listeners have more valuable things to do with their time. In all sincerity, Thank you for listening to the show. We truly appreciate it.